0: Good afternoon, I would like to welcome everyone to our joint work session uh, to discuss the budgets of the Arlington County School Board or APS and Arlington County government. I'm Christian Dorsey and today I'll be jointly presiding with the, co-chair, with the chair of the school board, Reed Goldstein. Welcome to you and all of your colleagues. We are thrilled to have you here. Um, we certainly note the absence And we are deeply saddened at the reason for that absence of board member Bethany Sutton, who, for those who don't know, uh, tragically lost her husband this past week. And we join in uh, being profoundly sorry for her loss. And as I know, Bethany will watch this at some point. I think it's best that we convey, at least from our side of the aisle, something that Ms. Garvey has taught us from her Quaker tradition, that we are holding you, Bethany, in the light. So with that, um, we will proceed with the business at hand today, which is to uh, mostly hear about the Arlington Public Schools' proposed budget. And to uh, also give them a window into what the county manager has proposed on the county side. And after having uh, lots of discussion on that, we will also uh, discuss some of the areas where we jointly engage in the care and cultivation of school aged children and have a presentation from our respective staff members on collaborations as it relates to mental health and substance uh, substance abuse. And then we will also hear from our Partnership for Children, Youth, and Families, which also, of course, is intimately involved in the care and nurturing of school-aged children. I'll just start with a general overview on the county side before we uh, turn it over, actually, Why don't I start with just a general overview of what you'll hear from the county side and then I'll turn it over to you, Chair Goldstein, for some opening remarks as well and then we'll get into the presentations in a little bit. So the county manager has proposed a budget for us which he will detail in just a few minutes. You should know that generally speaking, it is a budget that has a much improved revenue outlook from when we began the budget process towards the fall of last year. And for the most part, the board has Uh, affirmed that there will be no increase in the major uh, taxes that we levy, the real estate tax rate, stormwater tax principally among them. Uh, Those cannot be uh, any higher than they were last year, Uh, but there is a proposed increase in a uh, fee that is collected from every Arlington, every Arlingtonian um, who owns property and that is the household solid waste rate and that fee is substantially being proposed to increase this year. And then as we've gone through and had a number of work sessions with county departments and agencies, uh, there is a general theme that Arlington County is proposing to uh, not have staff capacity at a level that allows us to do the business that we would like to do. Generally, we are under-resourced. And that is mostly through not filling positions, which either are are vacant or authorized. And, you know, collectively that's leaving us without the ability to advance key priorities that we have surfaced in the community for years. It also does not allow many of these departments and agencies to function at maximum efficiency. And it does put a uh, a very significant strain uh, and and an inability to relieve the strain on agencies that are already stretched thin because their staffing is at the margins. It also does not include any significant new investments in housing, although it does carry through what has been an unprecedentedly uh, large commitment that we have made to affordable housing through the acquisition of the Barcroft, uh, by supporting the acquisition of the Barcroft property in South Arlington and the 1,330 give or take committed affordable units that are coming from that. And uh, of course, the budget does continue the coordination and commitment to schools and to children. So you'll hear those details from the manager and Chair Goldstein, turn it over to you for opening remarks.
1: Thank you very much, Chair Dorsey. Uh, First, let me say that we're delighted to be here. And as always, we thank the county, county board, county government for their unwavering, unending support for Arlington Public Schools, included, as you say, in this budget. So um, let me just make some brief opening remarks and then we'll take a look at the highlights of the APS budget. So the school board provided the superintendent with clear direction for this budget that aligned with our priorities. One, provide high quality education and address all students' social, emotional, and academic needs two, align to the 2022-2023 school board priorities, and three, recruit, hire, retain, and invest in a high quality and diverse workforce by sustainably funding market competitive salary scales and benefits. As with many school districts across the country, APS is facing many pressures, inflation, labor shortages, mental health challenges for both students and staff, safety and security issues, and the need to provide additional supports to our students both instructionally and social emotionally. The school board's proposed fiscal 2024 budget addresses to the greatest extent possible both the school board's priorities and the many pressures we are facing given the limited increases in revenues we are experiencing. We are providing a step increase and a 3% cost of living adjustment for all staff, as well as increasing both instructional and mental health supports for students we would like to do more but we also need to ensure our budget excuse me budget is fiscally sustainable we need to explore ways in which the schools and the county can collaborate on providing greater mental health supports for our students and staff and continue those supports to our students as they move on from our schools we are eager for the opportunity to continue and expand our collaboration with you the school board's proposed budget you're about to see deviates from many in the past for a variety of reasons we've been unable to come to consensus on a good number of potential changes both ads and cuts and have tabled many of those for additional discussion we're intending that those discussions will yield consensus for our final adopted budget scheduled for May 11th many times in the past The school board's proposed budget has given a good indication of what the final adopted budget will look like. That may not be the case this year. The budget needs and deserves to reflect the voice of all five school board members and will when the final is adopted. I cannot say at this point whether significant changes will occur, neither can I say there will be minimal changes. We have six weeks before May 11th and we are determined to create a budget that reflects our values, priorities, and fiscal constraints. Now let me turn it over to our superintendent, Dr. Francisco Duran, for a more detailed look at the school board's proposed budget, and we are happy to entertain your questions afterwards.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Chair Goldstein, and good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you, to share with you, again, as Mr. Goldstein said, the school board's proposed budget, which there are still continuing conversations going, and so we have a presentation we can bring up. I appreciate that. As we start, um, just an overview of the um, proposed budget. It's currently $803.7 million, and you'll see on the very first slide a breakdown of, you'll see that the overwhelming majority of that 84.4% go directly to our schools. Uh, and so, if we can get that up, all right, I'll pause for a moment. But as we pull up the pr- presentation, again, I just want to reiterate um, some of the comments similar to Chair Dorsey that uh, while we have put forth a lot of investments here, we have moved forward with continuing to invest in our teacher salary and our staff salaries. We have a lot more work to do. Um, and when we think about what the issues that we're facing in education with the shortage of labor and recruitment of staff and retention of staff, It is a major area of concern of ours, and so what we've done in the proposed budget is to simply stay in line with being in the top three uh, of our surrounding jurisdictions at all of our various scales. Not necessarily at the top in some scales, but in the top three, and that allows us to remain competitive, but does not allow us to be in the forefront, and that is an area of concern that we need to continue to think about uh, if we want to maintain and recruit uh, staff. So you can see again here on the first slide a breakdown of what our proposed budget is. Uh, Again, I just want to highlight that the overwhelming majority goes to our schools. The next slide kind of breaks down what Mr. Goldstein outlined and how the budget was built. First and foremost, to make sure that we had a minimal compensation increase. That, again, kept us at pace with being in the top three uh, competitiveness of our surrounding jurisdictions where we looked at each of our salary scales to ensure a year ago, if you recall when I was here, we talked about a major investment and some changes that was a result of a compensation study. That compensation study was one that allowed us to compare all of our scales to our surrounding jurisdictions. As we continue to do that, we saw the need to make sure each year, and we will continue each year, to review those because as we change our salaries, so do our surrounding jurisdictions. And so part of the effort this year is to make sure at least we maintain where we were there. Mr. Goldstein outlined our school board's priorities. I won't repeat them, but you'll see in the presentation how we have broken down any investments related to those. And then this budget does, as it currently stands, use uh, some of our reserves for compensation. We We use all of our reserves for compensation from the compensation reserve. We use additional reserves for some of the additional funds and debt service. We try to as much as possible, but you'll see that there are some areas where it goes beyond using our um, reserves for one-time costs. So you'll see on the next few slides a highlight of the budget. Uh, The first one, Mr. Goldstein read our priority one, which is really around academic progress and thinking about ways that we're meeting our students' academic needs, uh, particularly in the area of literacy, math, and then looking at our students with disabilities, English learners, our black and Hispanic students, and those are based on the data trends that we've seen in terms of need. So in priority one on the next slide, you'll see one, there is some enrollment changes as our enrollment is projected to slightly increase, uh, and that is gonna cost $6.2 million or 67.95 FTE. Again, that is directly connected to the anticipated uh, growth in enrollment. We've also identified 15 positions related to supports for student social, emotional, and mental health supports for about $1.8 million, and then some increased supports for our students with special populations, $10.4 or $2.4 million. We also have some additional instructional resources and supports, uh, and that's in the area of $4.3 million and and 20.5 million and uh, 20.5 FTE, and again, each and every one of those are related to literacy and or math supports uh, that are helping our student achievement move forward. So in priority one, which is dedicated to achievement and mental health and looking closely at the special populations, we're investing an additional $14.7 million. On our next slide, our priority two is really around how do we, as I shared a moment ago, sustainably fund our market competitiveness and remain market competitive, and then also as we've begun to engage in collaborations with uh, our negotiations, we currently only have one established collective bargaining unit, our administrators, We have our teachers and our support staff that are currently uh, in the process of having an election. Uh, But right now, this budget does not reflect anything from negotiations with those two bargaining units. So on the next slide, you can see that the overwhelming majority of our priority to investment is the compensation change, which is $25.6 million. And that is a cost of living adjustment of 3% and a step moving forward for all employees who are eligible for one. There are some additional compensation changes in the area of $1.9 million that are related to somewhat of the collective bargaining discussions that were had with the one collective bargaining unit, our administrators that we do have, and then some additional investments for us to recruit and retain teachers, two extra FTEs and 0.8 million. So a total investment in this priority of $28.3 million. The next slide, we broke down a little bit further for you to see that the step increase in the 3% cost of living for our teachers, what that means, uh, is an average pay increase of 5.2%. For our administrators and professional pay scales, that would be 5.13%. And for all of our support staff, it's an average of 6.18%. So overall, our pay increase is an average of 5.26%, which is in alignment with the current budget governor's proposed budget to allow us to draw down some funds for having a 5% uh, average increase. And so we also wanted to make sure that we looked at that I also should have paused at the beginning and shared that um, not only, as Mr. Goldstein said, there are continuing discussions around with the board about additional investments and or cuts, we still currently do not have the state revenue as the General Assembly has not finalized their budget. Um, the, and so we anticipate that hopefully in the next few weeks, but it could be much longer uh, up until June 30th potentially. Uh, Our final priority is really around operational efficiencies and uh, looking at how do we make sure that we're continuing to seek any savings and to make sure that all of our infrastructure, facilities, uh, et cetera, are making sure they're kept up to par. And so for that, on the next slide, you will see a big area, not only for um, just facilities and operations, but student safety. And this has been a major concern of ours, and so we wanted to make sure that we invested in some very, very important security enhancements. We have nine additional FTEs in that for $1.4 million. And then looking at our overall operational efficiency and our technology and our network infrastructure, we have $1.4 million for four FTEs. And then overall, our system-wide improvements, $6.3 million. So $9.2 million for priority three. You can see uh, that priority two was our biggest investment at 28.3 million, and priority one was ne- was next after that. So our number one priority in this budget, in terms of the dollars invested, was our compensation. And on the last slide, you can see how this breaks down um, overall. So 27.15 for compensation. We have direct services and supports to students directly one-on-one supporting students. We have 104 positions or 12.7 million. We have direct services to schools that are supporting the school and in the school of 23.9 or 10.71 million. And so our total school-based investments, the overwhelming majority of any positions that you see, again, a large number of this 128, if you recall at the beginning of my presentation, was related to the growth in enrollment. Uh, and then their additionals are some of the supports that we're putting in place for math, literacy, students with disabilities, and our English learners, so 128.85 FTEs. And then central office positions, there are uh, three FTEs for that $2 million. And so total investment, uh, you can see, summary is 131 positions for $52.56 million. And again, that's how it currently is, with further discussions um, that will be taking place with the board and awaiting our state revenue. Thank you, Mr. Chair
0: thank you so how would you like to do it chair goldstein would you like to do questions now or would you like to hear the county manager's presentation i defer to you i think it'd probably be useful
1: to hear the county manager's presentation right. first Sounds good. thank you
3: uh, good afternoon uh, members of both boards and uh, superintendent Duran. Uh, welcome and so I'm going to give a abbreviated overview of what was included in my proposed budget. As uh, Chair Dorsey has said, that budget is now currently before the County Board, and we've gone through I think seven full work sessions with departments. Um, we have one additional work session coming up to look at our transportation capital and our debt and metro uh, proposals, and we will be moving towards uh, adoption of a budget at the April board meeting. So why don't we start off with uh, an overview of the kinds of things that we were focused on. Uh, We have, at this point in fiscal 24, we continue to see improvements to our tax base, and this is all uh, in the context of what was happening with COVID. We are, in many instances, back to, if not above where we were on some of our tax revenues, and I'll talk about this in another slide. Um, about some of the, uh, not real estate tax, we'll talk about that separately, but our meals and sales taxes are doing quite well. We continue to have expense pressures as does the schools. Uh, The main pressures uh, again are on salaries and trying to remain competitive. And we also had been focused uh, by the direction of the board to look at not only focusing on investments in employees, but making sure we maintain many of our critical programs and uh, with a focus on housing and mental health. And we typically at this point, when we propose a budget, we're doing a look ahead of what we think the fiscal situation is going to be. And as I'll talk a little bit about later, we were a little bit surprised where, where we were on the commercial real estate market because of the vacancy issues we have. We actually did a little bit better than we thought um, with commercial assessments being slightly positive. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So we can go to the next slide, our overall budget, $1.54 billion. You can see, um, just to put it, I call it a fun fact, I don't know if it's fun, but it's a fact, that schools transfer is $607.6 million, and on the county operating side, our total salaries and benefits for all our employees is $511 million. So if you think about it, our budget, essentially, the biggest expenditure we have in our budget is schools, and I think that's as it should be, and that's always been the case but that speaks to the priority that I think the board and the community have placed on investment in schools. So within that $933 million, keeping in mind that 511 of that is for salaries and benefits, you see that that leaves a little bit over $400 million to do the other myriad uh, set of programs that we have. So let's go to the next slide. So we had talked, and this is always something that comes up, and so we're trying to explain to people back in november we had done uh, an estimate of what our expenses would be and estimated revenues and we received guidance from the board at the time that, uh, we had a 35 million dollar gap between those estimates that we needed to look at service and program efficiencies how to use one-time funding making sure that we're a little bit ahead of you. I know you're jealous about where we are with collective bargaining. Um, so we had three certified bargaining units and we went through that process. Also to provide funding for housing um, and some of the pressures there and also um, with schools. And so, the, um, let's go to the next slide. How we sort of managed through that process is that on the revenue growth, as I mentioned, we did a little bit be- uh Sales taxes and meals taxes are above where they were pre-pandemic. Our transient occupancy tax, which is the tax we collect uh, related to hotel stays, is almost back to where it was uh, pre-pandemic, which is good. Um, And then on real estate assessments are, on the residential sort of uh, single family and side, those, those continue to show fairly significant growth reflective really of a snapshot in time right before interest rates were going up. And then on the commercial side, I think you'll read a lot about right now we have a commercial vacancy rate um, in our office commercial office sector about 22%, which is a record high. And that is obviously very concerning. We're taking a lot of steps to address that through changes to our zoning ordinance to try to open up our commercial spaces for additional use. But um, the way the commercial real estate market works is there are some long-term leases. They don't all roll off at the same time, but over the next three or four years, we expect there to be a lot of downward pressure on the values in the commercial market. But this year, we saw those slightly lower, and then when you add a new construction, there's a slight bump up, so that was unanticipated to a certain respect, so that was helpful. On managing expenses, uh, Chair Dorsey mentioned a little bit about some of the service and program reductions. We uh, eliminated vacant positions, no filled positions, but that is taking capacity out of the system in a number of departments. We also were reaping the benefits of an investment that we made in partnership with Amazon for the Maplewood Solar Farm which is uh, in the southwestern part of the state, and we saw savings of that. We were able to account into our budget. Lower debt service than normal, we did not do a bond sale. That was in consultation with you all about whether you needed bond resources as well as us. We were able to defer that. We also, it's a double-edged sword, we're continuing to have challenges in filling vacancies. And so with that, we have some savings. We also have some degradation in service and then prudent utilization of one-time funding. We had in the past uh, 23 budget, we had used about uh, $12 million in one-time funding. We're trying to pare that back so that we get down to zero by 2026. So we go to the next slide. The priorities in the budget, again, I talked a little bit about our workforce investment. You can see under salary increases, the 10% for uniformed police, that is part of a collective bargaining uh, arbitration award. Um, Also, the 4.5% with FIRE, which is our second collectively uh, bargained uh, organization, was 4.5%, and then for service labor trades, that's the third collective bargaining agreement, that was at 4.5%. I had proposed, and the board is considering, a 4.5% increase for all general employees who are not covered by bargaining units, and then also, you can see a 2001 one-time bonus for employees. On housing, we have um, a considerable investment. The change in our housing investments this year as opposed to the last few years is we continue to see pressure on evictions. So whereas about four or five years ago, we spent very little, if any, money on eviction prevention, we've been spending a considerable amount of money on that. This is 3.6 million in the proposed budget and our housing grants are at uh, record levels. So that pressure um, takes away a little bit from what we're able to set aside for our, our uh, potential investments in the Affordable Housing Investment Fund, but you can see the list of other housing investments there. Um, we're also, will have an opportunity, I think I had mentioned earlier about some of our investments in mental health, and I know that's gonna be a subject of a separate presentation on part of both staffs. Capital investments, I'm not gonna read down the list there, but we have a a lot of things that we need to maintain in good repair, and also to make sure we're moving ahead. So let's go to the next slide. Um, This is, uh, again, just a summary of how it is we came up with a $607.6 million number. We were following the revenue sharing principles that have been laid out over a number of years, and that's 46.8% of our local tax revenues are dedicated to schools and in addition to that things that aren't counted in that and it's on the right side of the slide it's a rough estimate we probably need to update it a little bit more because we're investing a little bit more this year in some of the uh, transit aid for for kids who want to get on buses without having to pay a fare and i'm not sure this fully reflects that but we have the work we do in in parks and um, maintaining athletic fields working with you all our fleet management we have um, you know, our, the nurses that are in schools and the work, a lot of work we do uh, jointly on uh, our facilities. So let's go on to the next slide. Uh, so, just so that you can start worrying along with me, because I know you all want to do that, about some of the challenges we face past uh, this fiscal year. Metro, um, you know, we had, at the time I proposed the budget, we, the estimate was uh, somewhere, and I, let me write, I think it's, been in excess of a 500 million dollar gap potentially for fiscal 25 um, and that number hopefully will start coming down a little bit but Arlington County is on the hook for about uh, 8%, 8% of that um, I have absolutely no way of uh, I can't even pretend that I would know how to solve for that um, if that number remains ridership at Metro um, you know pre-pandemic was about 175 million passengers per year right now it's around 115 so Um, Unless that comes back, that is a real challenge. I mentioned the challenge on the office market with commercial vacancies. I I would hope to say that 22.1% is the high water mark on vacancies. I can't assure people of that. I think the number might actually end up going higher. Um, We've spent, I don't know if you've noticed, the county board spent a little bit of time talking about housing issues over the last few few weeks, years. Um, We have real challenges on housing demand and affordability. The challenges on maintaining a high quality workforce. Uh, Inflation continues to be a challenge and our infrastructure. So if we go on to the next slide, uh, Chair Dorsey mentioned what it was that had been advertised by way of rates. I have breaking news for the county board, um, which is our increase to our household solid waste rate, rather than being $101, it's going to be $98, because we have pursued negotiations since I proposed the budget. So take that $3, that's awesome. (laughs) Don't spend it all at once now. And then we have the um, other uh, fee increases in parks and associated fees. And so go to the last slide. This is the mythical average homeowner and the tax burden associated with the proposed rates that uh, I put in the budget that the board is considering. Shows that that mythical single family homeowner, um, which who is getting, you know, has, I think it's, 1.8 1.8 cars or something like that um, is going to be paying potentially another $452 in uh, uh, taxes this year. So with that, that concludes my presentation. I know we have a lot more uh, information that's going to be brought out between our staffs about what's going on specifically in collaboration with schools on mental health, but uh, happy to take any questions. Terrific.
0: So friend, how about how about you facilitate questions from Us about uh, Dr. Duran's presentation, and I'll do the same about Mr. Schwartz's presentation. Sounds like a plan. All right, go. Let's get us
4: started. Um. Thank you all very much for the opportunity to have this conversation. I look forward to it every year. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit or interested in hearing a little more about um, the the new FTE and in network infrastructure and technology support. Is that school-based? Or are you all updating enterprise-wide programs and um, more insights there?
2: Yeah, the the, FTE, oh, the the FTEs related to that are school-based. There's some more... Um, positions that support technology in the schools. And so right now, there is a formula and a model where we would love to have one person for each school to support technology. We don't have that yet, so we have a phased-in plan, and each year we've been providing additional supports to phase that in over time, and hopefully in a couple years if we continue to do that, we'll be able to have that. But it's really the FTEs are related to that. There are some additional dollars related to network infrastructure work that's going on. We are simultaneously working with um, our ERP upgrade, uh, and we have some money. Mr. Schwartz and I've talked previously about the model you use and using some of the CIP f- funding in that way. Oh. So that is also happening. But the FTEs specifically are related to supports for schools Great. and in schools.
4: Um, and are those folks who are sort of a- exclusively on the management of the tech side, or do they straddle instructional yeah. roles? No, those students? are
2: those specifically there are management of the technology okay. side. Thank we you. do have instructional technology coordinator ITCs that are on the instructional side, but these are specifically related to the infrastructure. Thank you.
5: Go by these.
6: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Vice Chair Garvey, thank do you, you. have I a think, question?
5: I, I think Mr. <laughs> DeFerranti has his light on too, but I'm happy to jump in. Thank you. Following up on FTEs, thank you. Um, I, and I assume it's for Dr. Duran. Um, could you talk a little bit about the nine FTEs for safety and, and um, security that you're adding and what they're doing? Are they in the schools? I assume they are. And yes. How that's, I
2: mean, if you don't, you don't have to give real particulars if that's an issue but so interested. we currently have a position school safety coordinators SSC's we call them uh, that are supporting all of our middle and high schools we have and then we also have some that roam for elementary school so this will be increasing the number so that on average a couple of our high schools would get two to three more of those positions so it's an existing position that will provide opportunities to do coverage in the hallways doors overall safety and management of the building and so it's additional uh, positions of what's currently there to provide more uh, at our high schools and middle schools.
5: Thank you. Thank you. So is that like three to five in the high schools? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh,
2: depending on the high schools, uh, the size, it could be up to five to seven more at, at currently. Total. Total. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you.
7: Thank you. And Mr. DiFerranti. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, this is uh, related to budget. It's not directly out of the slide deck. It's about summer school because last year we had is hard to hire teachers even when the incentive that we provided I'm thinking about mental health and I'm very mindful that programs in the department of parks and recreation on our side are critical but I don't know how the summer school hiring is going and how the the rollout of the services that we provide given so many students as a reality of a consequence of the of covid um, needing to sort of catch up both socially and intellectually one key change for this year from last year. Last year our
2: summer school model was students that had to qualify for both reading and math. And this year we've changed the formula so it could be or. So that's one. So we've, with the result of that we have an increase in the need for students because it's not just one or the other. I mean what has to be and, now or. And that's really important, number one. Number two, we have continued to put in our $2,000 bonus for our teachers. And we're just, in, we're probably at the very beginning part of the hiring process, I don't have the final numbers, but I can certainly share that with you later. Uh, but we're actively working to recruit teachers for the summer. It is a challenge and it will continue to be a challenge. That's why we maintain the bonus there. Um, but that's what it is right now. Thanks.
1: Mr. Carantonis.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you for the presentation. Um, so, p- apparently, priority three is uh, something I wanted to just ask you. So the the third point that's uh, slide number ten. Uh, prioritize maintenance and renovation of PS facilities and outdoor spaces in an equitable manner. So, uh, is the th- the third point on on slide 11 system wide operations improvement, 6.3 million and f- 7 ft? Is that that corresponds? To what exactly does it mean? Prioritize in an equitable manner. What what is prioritized exactly there.
2: Part of part of what you'll see here in the investments in the um, third bullet is not specifically related to outdoor spaces in an equitable manner. That's also part of our priorities. We're looking at our CIP, and so these priorities are budget priorities, but we've also, what I've really appreciated this year and last year from our school board is that we have stuck with priorities across the board, not change them for various reasons. So when we're thinking about maintaining and looking at outdoor spaces and overall how we're beginning to look at our facilities, you're going to see a lot more of this third bullet in what we're doing in our CIP work. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you.
9: Yeah, I think the reminder that the priorities themselves are our overarching priorities, not specific just to the budget, but the budget was in fact designed with the priorities as the core focus. And so that bullet in particular, because it doesn't quite apply to the the budget, may seem out of place, but it fits in with a larger system.
8: Um, I mean, what I'm trying to elicit here is how, you know, the operating budget is feeding into this and how exactly it works. Uh, Chair Dorsey, do you have questions for us?
0: Thank you. Uh, I have a question about um, locks and bathrooms. Is it too soon? Sorry. (laughs) All right. You got so tense.
6: Look at that. Sorry, sorry,
0: am trying to bring a little levity on a Friday afternoon. Anyway, I do actually have a question about your use of reserves here. And uh, to what extent does your budget take you either close to or past some of your, your desired sort of guidelines for um, capitalizing your reserve accounts? Can you just give us a sense? any of you
9: I will take it Um, this is a a, been an ongoing conversation for us for for many many years um, in the sense that we've had um, we we have had a, a habit of needing to use reserves in order to cover for for core instruction in the past um this year we get down i believe we're using 42 million is that the right number it's it's in the range of 40 million um in in our reserves which definitely takes us to a point where we will end up with about 17 left that then would need to sustain us for any ongoing overages for next year so that 17 that remains in reserves does not clearly be does not account for the 42 that we are currently using so unless we then have additional funds that come in next year, we are beginning the year, 42 million in the fold, roughly 42.
0: And so the 17, is that spread? Can you give me a sense of how that's spread
2: across your various reserve funds? Is that mostly in the compensation reserve?
9: Yeah, that's uh, future budget years reserves
2: that's for future budget reserves we do have other reserves that are not able to be used for the budget like cip reserves those types of things okay. that's not yeah that's not right, this December. is just your main no. future budget years reserve and i will say of the 40 about 2 million dollars the bulk of it is coming from our compensation reserves so what we do at the end of each year when we do uh look at our reserves we look at and break it down for any reserves that are related to what we call lapse and turnover mm-hmm. so these would be any positions that were unfilled or if we hired someone new into the position that Salary was not as high as the previous person. We set all of that aside at our closeout in December into a compensation reserve. And that is over probably 55% or so, uh, over 50% of what's being used in this budget is directly related to lapse and turnover. So the 17 million that still exists, that is what we know now, but we'll have our lapse and turnover again from this year that would add to that later on in December, we would know. And again, that would be dedicated, set aside for our, for our um, compensation purposes. I just want to break that down. That's the, the one thing. Technically, we do that on our end. You don't technically have to put reserves in that way, but we have. It's been a practice for us to separate that out and to show the public and to show our staff that all the money that's coming from lapse and turnover at closeout is going to be dedicated towards a compensation reserve. We did use it all this year because we wanted to try and catch up to that, at least the minimum of the 5%. One, because it's in the governor's proposed budget. And two, because as we looked at all of the co- compensation markability and to stay you know, in competition with our surrounding jurisdictions, that's about the area we need it to be. So we did use all of that.
0: I mean, it's certainly a reasonable choice to use uh, savings in personnel on personnel that you actually have, right?
9: I will say anecdotally, Leslie Peterson is worried. <laughs> so if that tells you anything. <laughs>
0: understood understood Mm -hmm. and i can imagine you have all kinds of perspectives on that for sure yeah thank you
4: if you want to do a second no no second round you go first great thank you well i just wanted to say um for my part i found the organization of the budget uh, into sort of a school by school look immensely helpful this is the first time the budget's been presented that way right No? Mm no really yeah, Maybe year year it's year. just the new aesthetics of the graphics <laughs> caught my digit. Um I thought it really useful. I also know, I mean, my understanding is you all, like us, uh, the the uh, primary source of funds for capital programs in the primary capital program is, of course, captured in the CIP, but there is some use of ongoing funds, right, or, or in a given year. Um, what's the best way in the budget to find the the use and distribution of those capital funds since the school is, if you have, for example, a a school-based turf conversion that's happening within an operational year. How can we find and track that, you
9: know? Is it? It, it says
4: it in the book. I, I would
9: need to look through the book and find the actual page, but it is in the book where it says which of the different funding streams are being used. We can, we can find it.
4: Right. So, yeah. but I guess if I'm interested in sort of an overall look at the ongoing dollars uh, or even year bond proceeds that are being spent on a capital project, is there a good place to capture that? You see what I'm asking?
2: I'll ask our budget director who's here with me she can help you thank you she's the author of the book so <laughs> tamika thank you
6: good
5: afternoon it would be um found in the mcmm section in the capital projects okay
4: under, under other funds yep great
10: okay And that, that's sort of a
4: list of the projects that are happening within this uh, operational budget year. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you,
3: Tamika.
1: Ms. Garvey.
5: Thank you. Um, actually and, and thank you all for I don't think I thank you for coming in the presentation and it's great to have you guys here and Dr. Duran I am um, we've talked about it before but could you go over so these possible dollars for the governor I can I mean it's so hard to do a budget when you don't know how much money you're gonna have. Um, What's, what's the range, and if it comes in, does it come in like identified for certain things? Do you know how yeah. you're going to have to spend it? It's not, I mean, what are, you, what are you hoping for, expecting?
2: Well, what we know of what the House and the Senate budget versions are what we know that they passed, but during the compromise it could change. So what we know right now is the Senate bill does provide us with approximately $4 million more million However, $3 million of that is dedicated solely to a bonus for staff. So we would not be able to use it for other purposes. The remaining additional dollars are tied to additional increase in compensation up to potentially 7%. However, in Arlington, as you know, because of our composite index, when we get that, we would have to spend about $10.2 million more in our budget and receive approximately $800,000, $900,000 from the budget from this additional uh, increase from the Senate version. The House version is similar, but it's just they don't have the compensation, excuse me, the bonus involved. So it's really not a whole lot of more operating dollars that come in, it's a bonus from the Senate, and then it's some additional funding if we would increase up to 7% for compensation, but we would have to put in a lot more to get there. Uh, Again, that's what was passed by both of them, but I understand as they're in compromise, there might be other changes, but that's what we know of. Um, thank you. Now
5: I remember well those matching things where the state takes credit for giving you all of this money, but actually they arrange it so you really can't afford to take it. Exactly. Yeah, been exactly. there, done that. that. Exactly. So thank you. And then. Um, I, I'm interested in, and maybe not for now, maybe for later, it may have been in your presentations, how relatively we're doing with other jurisdictions. Do you have sort of, I mean, I, wanting to be in the top three sounds really sensible to me. Um, and I'm just wondering how we're doing and what you're expecting. And possibly, I mean, when you get the final, I'd be interested in that, you know, later down the road after we've passed our budgets, just, just to kind of keep track of how we're doing.
2: Absolutely. Um, we but if you have you. a sense
5: now, I'd be interested, but you may not really know, because I guess everybody's kind of where everybody's where we kind
2: are. of in a, yeah. But yeah. well, we can absolutely get that to you when it's passed at the end. Okay. Sure. All right.
5: Thank
6: you. Yeah. yeah, I know, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right. So maybe I'll take the baton and uh, facilitate any questions that you all may have about county government operations, and/or Mr. Schwartz's presentation. So uh, let's start with my colleagues first yeah, and their questions. Yeah. So, Ms. Kadera.
11: Hi there, I had a question that actually is a question that came to us in our public meeting last night in our public comment period. Um, We had a community member who came to ask about funding for a study and implementation related to charging at the Trade Center for um, bus fleets. And this community member had seen in the CIP pass last year that there was two million I think set aside for work related to charging at the Trade Center but that they are not seeing it in your proposed budget. And so I'm just curious, as somebody who's interested in electric, the electrification of our our collective fleet, um, any context you can provide about what's the status is there?
3: So that particular proposal for, and I think it was $2 million, was included as part of the bond referendum that voters voted on last November. We have not yet gone out to sell those bonds. We will be doing that fairly soon, but, uh, when that money becomes available, um, that that is how we would get the money, and that money would begin a study for doing the work down at the Trade Center. So, just to update you a little bit further, we have, in working with schools, um, there are, th- I think you have three electric buses in your school fleet, yeah, three or four, and we have found places for charging for three or four of them. There's a a pretty significant issue that's looming on the horizon depending on what you all decide to do with your school bus fleet. I'll just give you a hypothetical. If you were to decide, I have no idea what you're gonna do. If you were to decide to electrify half of your school bus fleet, um, there just isn't space right now the way the Trade Center is configured Mm -hmm. to have all those charging facilities. And even if we were to decide, which we very well might in, in a joint fashion to, build those charging facilities, it would require construction of some sort of structured parking, and then we'd have to find a place to put the buses in the interim, which raises other issues, which I know the school board is never uh, gonna be excited to talk about, which is that, do you park those buses at schools on an interim basis, and what happens? So there's a lot of complicated issues that follow from that, but I would like to say that at least with the three or four buses we have, we figured out how to do that, but that $2 million may seem like a lot for a study, but it's a very complicated issue.
0: Thank you for the question, Mr. Pretty. Yes,
12: yeah, so uh, you said it was 22% for the commercial vacancy rate, and I'm just curious, is that is that trending up, down? Is, I'm, I'm not gonna quiz you on the programs. No, place, it's another bunch of them, but.
3: It, it, it's, it's trending up, and so, you know we have the the numerator and the denominator of that fraction, and that um, what ha- what's been happening is as commercial leases, which had been traditionally 10-year leases or even longer, as they roll off, and businesses are making a decision on what to do. Businesses like, well, like county government and it's it's different for schools, are making the decision to take less space because commuting patterns have changed post-COVID, and um, Commercial developers are struggling to fill that space, and so um, there's just real challenges. We're not the only jurisdiction in the country facing that. So, I think that number is likely to go up before it comes back down. And I'll just add, Mr. Pretty, that you know,
0: contrary to the high vacancy that we experienced after. Uh, the base realignment and closure process and sequestration in the federal disinvestment where we had wholesale empty facilities because entire agencies left and there were no tenants um, what we're seeing is perhaps more concerning is that there's general weakness across all sectors so it's not that you necessarily have vacant buildings just buildings that are occupied at substantially less capacity than they were before and we're not seeing any trends that would indicate that that is going to grow rapidly. So it's a, it's a case where you can't think about distressed assets that maybe you could target for some other kind of thing. It's just weakness overall. So this, this vacancy may hit us harder.
5: And one more thing, I think when the leases are renewed now, instead of 10-year leases, people yeah. are looking at two-year, much shorter terms. So you can't even count on what you get. So that's part of an issue too.
2: Thank you.
9: Hello.
0: Please.
9: Um, so my question is about compensation, unsurprisingly. Um, when On slide, I believe it was six, yes, slide six, we saw the, the breakdown in the percentages for um, each of the different bargaining units. Um, do you know, or do we have, or can we see like what the average is once you take across all of the employees where folks end up landing?
4: I wonder if I might ask, is that we don't have a step in grade system?
9: No, 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 but I mean, when I take across, you had general employees at four point five, uniform fire at four point five, when I take everybody and then average it out, what right. does that end up? Being?
3: So uh, I, I don't know that we could we could give you that number, but so to give you a sense of scale yeah. for police at ten percent, that's covering about three hundred and fifty people, four and a half, what fire is at four and a half percent. So that's the average increase for our service labor trades. That's about three hundred plus people. Um, and for the sheriff, which was at 8.5%, is around 300 people. That's uh, a total of, uh, that 10% uh, would nudges up the 4.5% by not a, not a lot because that 350 is not even quite 10% of our workforce.
9: Got it. That's the, the scale that I was trying right. to understand yeah. because if you look at these numbers, it looks slightly differently just on the slide, but if you're weighting it by the scale of employees, that's what I was trying to unpack in my own brain.
0: I would guess if people are... Judging where they get their check from, your average increases are higher than, their, than our average increases. Yeah.
9: They are getting a bonus with you all, though. So mm-hmm. that's also nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let me finish up the first round here. Uh, I want to go back to the, um, the topic of um, electric bus charging. And I didn't really understand. Um, you said that you had not sold the bonds yet but we're planning to, is that right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And when that, and that's gonna be the spring?
3: The spring, right, and then when the money becomes available, then we'll start a study and begin that process. S- so that's gonna be soon, I mean, you get the money
1: when you sell the bonds, right? Right. So we're anticipating that study. Sometime in the
3: next yeah, few I, I, you know, I'm not. Gonna, this is the thing is I'm not. I don't know exactly when the study is going to begin. I'm not trying to be difficult about it, but the um, we it's it's wrapped up in not. We're not just studying the question about where school buses will be parked on the trade center. It's a whole jigsaw puzzle of moving pieces around. Now we've been looking at it for a long time and I think we actually need to start making decisions so that we can start unlocking the pieces there, but that's clearly a priority. Right now, and I don't have the percentage, I know maybe staff will be able to help, the school bus parking takes up is the single biggest use, I think, of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, impervious surface on at, at the Trade Center, and if there were ways to you know, re-envision the way transportation was done, there might be ways to, you know, do that differently than when we've done it before. But um, yeah, the study should begin, but I think the study raises a lot of important policy issues which um, I think will come back to both boards in maybe the next year and a half, something like that. Okay, Thank you for the clarification. Um, so let me switch
1: to a, sorry, let me switch to a different um, subject and that is on your slide five, you said that you're trying to eliminate one-time funding by
0: uh, Fiscal 26, I think it said. Eliminating one-time funding to pay for ongoing expenses. Right, we we always, we
3: do have a fair amount of one-time funding, like you do, that we will apply to one-time expenditures. We had during COVID, when we received the CARES and ARPA money and revenues were down, we, as I like to say, we committed budget misdemeanors (laughs) Um, by using one-time money to pay for ongoing costs and we'd like to try to move away from that.
1: Yeah, thank you, that was a clarification I was looking for.
11: I I wanted to follow up on uh, Mr. Differenti's question about summer experiences. I think um, we had had collectively, or some number of us, we had had a hope that this coming summer we would be able to reimagine summer experiences for our young people with some kind of hybrid of summer school and camps, classes, enrichment through Parks and Rec. We weren't able to make that happen for this summer. My question is: Are there are there um, are there any changes in funding and staffing to Department of Parks and Rec that we should be aware of that would Influence our ability or impact our ability to try to aim for that next year?
3: So I'll start and then maybe Dr. Duran wants to add. You know, one of the challenges, and we've talked about this, the chairs and vice chairs of the school, school board and county board have talked about this, is the model. I think we're trying to find in, uh, staff to do the enrichment one day a week and getting people on board to do that has been a, a little bit of a hiring challenge but we think if we start now we're, we're more optimistic about what might happen next year but i'm gonna i'll let you francisco add to that
2: well, that's accurate uh, one thing i will say that the collaboration with summer programming has improved a lot in terms of locations and we while we did not do the model you're describing Ms. Cadera, we did have a lot of improvements in being able to collate and co-locate and have some programs in different locations and just better uh, collaboration around where those county programs could be housed. And that was a big part of, I think, an accomplishment. We have much more to do to think about models. One day a week is preferable for uh, us in terms of having students four days, and then families and students have one day. But that might not work in terms of hiring. So we could look at some other models. But we, this is not, we're not giving it up. We're just continuing the conversation.
0: And in full disclosure, I think we also found that uh, the conversation probably started a wee bit too late to actually effectively come up with a model despite those overarching issues for this year. So, with more, more of a, run- a runway, we'll probably have greater success.
8: I, I just wanted to add to this a little bit. Uh, there is also the the issue of the duration of, uh, you know, the the extension of, of available hours, and it would be very helpful to understand uh, how big the need is because you know uh, staffing is very problematic. And it's, it's it's tough uh, making resources available is <laughs> equally tough. Uh, in that order, though, staffing first and uh, uh, adding adding uh, hours and adding uh, this this kind of capacity needs to be strategically planned. Um, that's, that I believe that we will have to collect a lot of um, experience this year with that, make very good notes, and, and get back next year and, and appropriate the resources. Anything else?
0: Anything
8: else? Christina.
9: Thank you. Um, I can't remember which slide it was, but you had 4.4 for unanticipated priority. Areas. Is that a thing that y'all have done in the past? Because I had not noticed that before. Um, and what have you used it for in the past if you've had it before?
3: You're speaking to your long history on the Fiscal Affairs Advisory Commission.
9: Yes, <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, either um, that or
9: I just don't remember it, which is No, well,
3: it, it it really depends year to year, but in, the, in this case, um, there's $4.4 million of unallocated one-time funds, mm-hmm. um, which um, is available for the board for additional consideration because we, We always, from the time that I actually finish pens down on the budget towards like the third or fourth week of January to the time where the board is gonna take an action in April, there usually are additional needs that come up and there wasn't anything that I had identified that I felt rose above anything else. It doesn't mean there aren't additional needs, but that's, I left that unallocated for the board to consider.
9: That's kind of how we end up using our closeout funds because the second that the budget is actually implemented, there's a new need that suddenly pops up and then by the time it comes to us, we end up using our closeout funds for it. So that makes sense. Thank you.
0: Done with our questions. All right, we're now ready to move on, I think, to the next phase of the conversation, which is going to include, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to hear from Uh, our respective staff members about some collaboration on working on youth mental health and substance use issues. Hey, Deborah Warren and Mr. Sampson right Dr. Sampson Dr. <laughs> welcome welcome good to have you both here and I don't know how you're gonna do this so I'm just gonna take, take it away great thank you
10: well thank you um, county board members and school board members for having us we're really excited to be here we have been working hip-to-hip shoulder-to-shoulder now <laughs> For quite a while and um, what we're going to do today is talk about what we're doing on the county side and what you know APS is doing on the school side and um, the pieces that we're working on together as well as what's in the hopper uh, for future development or is currently under development
12: great thank you next slide please So this just gives you an overview of the services that we have available primarily in schools. And today, you're gonna learn a little bit about how we work together, particularly in the tier three uh, intensive area. But in our schools, we do a variety of things to support the social, emotional, and behavioral needs of our students. In terms of setting that really positive school climate and culture, we have staff members in the buildings, such as um, family and community engagement coordinators, diversity, equity, Uh, and inclusion coordinators and then when we think particularly about both social emotional and behavioral supports all of our students have access to and receive services from social emotional learning leads they really provide some of the curriculum overviews to teach our students those skills and competencies and we have our school counselors which provide uh, access for academic social emotional and college and career planning Um, For the students that need more support, what we call sort of tier two and targeted supports, we have a variety of staff members, school psychologists, and school social workers, and we'll talk a little bit later about a group of employees that's in the uh, current budget for intervention counselors. And they really provide some small group supports to students, giving them additional instruction and some skills, uh, and helping them to uh, sort of understand the impacts of their behaviors. We're also adding this year in the budget uh, deans of students at our large comprehensive high schools who will do more of the work with students who maybe are beginning to engage with a disciplinary system and then they can work with them on uh, understanding new skills, new behaviors to replace some of the ones that may be negatively impacting them, as well as using restorative practices with our students to repair harm that may have occurred as a result of students' actions within the building. Then if we look at students who really need more intensive supports, really those few students that rise to the top, Um, in the schools we have a group of employees that work specifically with students uh, with disabilities called interlude therapists who really need um, really targeted uh, social-emotional assistance. And we also have behavioral interventionists that work with students who need work in understanding behaviors, and then providing replacement behaviors. Today, we're going to talk collaboratively about some work that we're looking to do to implement uh, uh, DHS therapists within some of our schools. Um, And as you go through the continuum, we start to look at more supports in the Tier 3 area, being some of these partnerships that we have with uh, collaborators, such as the Department of Human Services. Next slide. Um, Currently, within uh, Arlington Public Schools, we've done a variety of efforts to meet the current need um, with our students and in our community. So we've held a number of community conversations that are really trying to provide education to the community about opioids as well as how to uh, use things such as Naloxone or Narcan. Uh, We have a robust health curriculum that provides substance abuse and mental health education to our students in grades 6 through 12. We do currently have six substance abuse counselors in our schools that at this point work with students from fourth grade all the way to 12th grade. Uh, They're a small but very mighty group of staff that are really passionate about their work. Um, And then we also have completed uh, Naloxone or Narcan training with our staff. So our secondary staffs were all trained uh, in February and then our elementary staffs Um, are required to complete this training by the end of April. So in that way, all of our staff members will be trained uh, in our schools in the use of naloxone. And then we've also been working to install um, opioid emergency uh, boxes, red boxes, uh, usually co-located with our uh, AEDs in our schools so that then there is always naloxone available on each floor of our secondary schools should it be needed to be used for any reason Um, if anyone suspects an overdose in the buildings. We're also currently, as we look to the next school year, looking at uh, exploring some additional mental health, um, potential substance use education for school staff. Um, And we're also thinking about, um, we do provide mental health education for our students uh, in our schools, but are, are there additional programs, additional instruction that we might be able to provide, particularly to our high school students that would be beneficial. Next slide.
10: I'm going to touch on the uh, current county efforts. Uh, First of all, in our Department of Human Services, affectionately known as DHS, we have embedded Community Services Board services, including Children's Behavioral Health. In that area, we have 14 staff who provide um, outpatient uh, behavioral health services, which I'll talk more about in a bit. we have our, uh, well, we have an entire crisis continuum of care uh, that we have um, robustly expanded in the last year to include the 988 Regional Call Center. We've tripled our CR2, our Community Crisis Regional Response, which is a regional uh, program um, that does mobile uh, crisis services. Um, our Program, our program, Arlington Addiction Recovery Initiative, has been uh, really ramping up its naloxone um, training and distribution, actually quadrupled it, and um, we are seeing noticeable results in terms of a reduction of over 40% of fatalities uh, in terms of overdoses. Still the same number of overdoses, but at least reducing, saving lives, literally saving lives um and that is a partnership with aps those school counselors are deeply involved in ari um, and there's just incredible support across the county with um, police fire uh, the hospital nonprofits and so on Um, project peace which is co-chaired by katie crystal is our um, our prevention uh, and Promotion and Support Education program to address uh, domestic violence and sexual violence. Um, and uh, that program has really ramped up its youth programming. Um, last year, we initiated um, our Askable Adult Program. We have a very close partnership, deeply involved with the school system uh, around training adults to be available and approachable to young people who are having mental health substance use issues um, uh, concerns or issues around consent um, and other other issues related to you know healthy relationships and so on and then um our developmental disability services is another very close partnership with um With APS, we um, just did a big study last year and strengthened our work on transition-aged youth to ensure, and we are working um, fast and furious to actually expand programming for young people with developmental disabilities coming out of the school system. We're launching a new uh, employment uh, community-based program at Sequoia Plaza uh, this, this coming fiscal year, so that's very exciting. And I have to mention our school health um, program, which is almost 60 staff, uh, led by um, Dr. Varghese. Uh, and, um, you know, can't say enough about that partnership. Next slide, please. So, drilling down into a little bit more specifics about our children's behavioral health care services, we have same day access, which means that. Um, during the day, like Monday through Thursday, you can uh, walk in and be seen for an assessment. Our outpatient services are really focused on youth who have serious emotional disorder or at risk of serious emotional disorder, and we do have very clear prioritization guidelines where we are focused on serving the most vulnerable children children who um, are uninsured, children who are on Medicaid, um, but we really are focused on those folks who cannot otherwise you know, receive services through, um, through insurance. Um, and we have, a, we have a lot of focus on like, working with kids who are aging out and have um, serious emotional disorders and need to transition to our adult Um, Community Services Board system. We have positions uh, dedicated to work directly with the detention center, uh, where we have very at-risk youth who have significant behavioral health issues and substance use um, issues, which has really escalated in the last year, Um, and court-based services. Um, We have a program where we actually train, it's called um, behavioral intervention services, where we actually coach parents, um, teachers and others, on how to address uh, challenging behavior in kids. And then we have a robust prevention and wellness promotion program where we do mental health first aid, um, lock and talk, where we really work on preventing suicide and partnering very closely with Ari around substance use education and healthy living. Next slide, please, with the goal of really increasing the resiliency of our young folks here in Arlington. This slide shows you a continuum of care with regard to um, substance use disorder treatment. So on the purple side, you see outpatient services that can be an hour, two to even three hours a week. Intensive outpatient services, which are two hours a day, for five days a week, at least at the beginning, until uh, the young person um, is more stable in their recovery, and then those services are titrated gradually down. Um, Partial hospitalization, which is a very intensive program, pretty much all day. Residential services, which, um, which uh, can be several months at a time and then medical withdrawal services, which would be a few days. What I'm showing you on this slide is that we have significant gaps in our system of care for substance use disorders in kids. We have really developed these services for adults in the last five, six years in response to the opioid crisis. We are working very hard to develop contracts with a number of vendors to fill in these gaps. We are also developing services uh, in this area, which I'll tell you a little bit more about. Um, Okay, next slide, please. So another way that kids can get help um, is through the Children's Services Act, which um, is a, is, was established in 1993 comprehensive, it was called the Comprehensive Services Act at that time and it's, it's basically five pots of money that are pooled. You may be familiar with that. Um, and a family assessment and planning team comes together and develops a treatment plan for the youth. This is, a, these services are available um, for youth who are at risk of or receiving services in foster care Demonstrate significant emotional behavioral health problems and may require services from multiple agencies, may be at risk for residential placement, which we try to really focus on community-based treatment as opposed to residential treatment. It's better to keep kids connected to their families and their communities. Kids who are involved with um, juvenile and domestic relations court, kids who need private placement, you know, for special ed purposes. Um, And then some youth, a very small number, are uh, eligible for services through CHINs, which is child in need of services, and that requires a parental agreement. These referrals can come through a variety of avenues through schools, through courts, through uh, DHS, and um, our staff manage that through our system of care um, staff. So next slide, please. I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, our crisis continuum of care. I mentioned some of the expansions. I wanted to talk about our crisis intervention center because we have really strengthened uh, with significant county board support our crisis intervention center. We have recently been licensed for 23-hour crisis stabilization. This allows an individual to come to our crisis intervention center, which has five calming rooms, including a large room for youth and families uh, to be able to be together. But it enables an individual to receive an assessment, to get support, to de-escalate, and then hopefully um, return home, or if they need it, go to a higher level of care. Uh, One of the pieces of this that we're very excited about is we have hired or contracted for 10 conservators of the peace, and these are individuals who are certified to be able to um, accept custody of individuals under an emergency custody order, which is an eight-hour period of time where they receive assessment, um, and that allows police to be able to get back into the community faster. And one piece of our emergency services crisis continuum of care is about five years ago, the, uh, Virginia Hospital Center we were working with them on the expansion of beds at the um, main campus and um, there was press from the community that the hospital um, support services for kids and so we hired a therapist and uh, we call her diversion our diversion first therapist and she works intensively with youth who come in through our emergency services um, to ensure that they receive the support they need One other thing that I wanted to mention is another new program we're developing, which we call MOST, Um, it is um, grant funded and through a SAMHSA grant, it'll be a a licensed clinician and a a peer specialist uh, in a van, and they will go out and do pre-crisis services, do outreach with individuals who may be decompensating, and this will be available to the entire lifespan, the entire community. So look for that soon. We are um, we're in the process of hiring uh, our, our second uh, clinician for that program. Next slide, please. So another area of focus for DHS, we've been partnering um, with a number of high-level county officials, including the county manager Working with the the Virginia Hospital Center around um, a significant expansion of behavioral health services, we have a signed letter of intent which allows us to go forward with the planning process. The hospital will be submitting uh, their 4.1 plan uh, late May, uh, early June, which will then um, go to the county uh, for evaluation and assessment and then we will kick off the site plan review process under the umbrella of the Planning Commission. So what does this mean for our community? We're working collaboratively together to on our on our community outreach and on the entire complex process uh, to compress it so that in late 2025, we will have significant services to include inpatient, 24 adolescent inpatient beds. We have zero in our community, and we have very few in the state. We have 18 available at this, in the state hospital system. And when kids come into our emergency services and are, uh, need to need acute hospitalizations, it's very difficult. We have very limited resources for that. So this is enormous. I've highlighted that in red but there are also significant other services that are going to be available for this community. So I think it's really going to be phenomenal, including five outpatient services, one of which is an adolescent intensive outpatient program, which would be, again, two hours a day, five days a week to support um, the emotional health of kids. Next slide, please. So another thing that we've been working on, I I showed you the slide with the continuum of substance use treatment services. So in our shop, we have um, outpatient services, but we don't have the capacity to provide the substance use outpatient services that is really needed now, it's really urgent. So one of the pieces that we've been working on daily is um, working on a contract with National Capital Treatment and Recovery, which is right here in Arlington, right on Glebe Road. And in the uh, some time ago, they did provide adolescent services. They had a residential program actually for uh, for adolescents, um, but they did away with that. And so they are at the table with us. We just we've met with them every day this week, and we are on the cusp of a contract amendment because we have contracts with them for adult services, and they are uh, partnering with us to. Um, develop in, um, intensive outpatient uh, substance use treatment services for adolescents as well as outpatient services. Um, so we're very excited about that. That will be coming very soon. Then regionally, um, I'm a part of a regional group with the five co- total five community services board executive directors in Northern Virginia. We have tons of regional projects that we do together and one of the things we're working on is um, and the RFP should be should have been issued today or will be issued Monday. Um, We are putting out a request for proposal to for medical withdrawal and substance use residential treatment for adolescents. This is to to be able to have a local resource where adolescents who are addicted to opioids can safely withdraw under medical supervision. We developed that here in Arlington about about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, and it's been very, very successful. So We want to replicate that with adolescents, and we're doing that as a region. It's a very expensive program to develop, so we applied for a Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services grant. We're waiting on that, and we are applying for a $5 million partnership Opioid Abatement Authority grant that's due May 5th. Each jurisdiction has to kick in some funding for that. Arlington's share proportionally to our population is $180,000 annually over five years. We are full court pressing that effort, and we hope to get that up and running by next summer. So look for more information on that. As a, next slide please. As a short-term piece of work that we're doing, our DHS staff are developing in partnership with um, APS courts um, and our adult behavioral health, Uh, as well as our local safe haven actually Um, we are working to develop an intensive substance use treatment group that will meet three times a week with a parent component that will meet every other week and we're hoping to start this uh, April 18th and uh, for the parent component we will have um, childcare services and um, it is a a terrific partnership Um, and it'll it'll be it's a pilot And we are hoping to expand that in the future. Also recently, as a result of uh, the whole community conversation around opioids, we have some young people who are interested in starting a 12-step program for adolescents. So look for more on that. There was a meeting last week where um, there was interest. And we have adults in 12-step programs who are going to support that um, endeavor. Next slide. So I want to um, talk about um, the county board, uh, um, the county manager's budget uh, has in it a um, behavioral health therapist, a new position. This, we have an office-based opioid treatment program that we developed for adults uh, about five years ago now, and it's been very successful, but we have a waiting list for those services. And um, the capacity there is 20 individuals. We, with this position funded by Opioid Abatement Authority money, we would be able to expand to 40 individuals um, uh, to provide that opioid uh, use treatment, opioid dependence treatment. Um, And in that program, we provide medication assisted treatment. Um, and we would be able to expand that service to young people 16 and over that is the lowest limit at which we can provide uh, suboxone uh, treatment per federal regulation Uh, so we're looking forward to finding a therapist to fill that position if this is um, approved by the county board we also plan to use forty five thousand dollars to Uh, hire a contractor um, to ensure that we're providing best practices in that area because it's a fast-moving field next slide please okay so I wanted to talk with you all about a relatively new proposal that we've developed very very recently um, not in time for the county managers proposed budget uh, because this has really become this has this has really come out of our collaboration together working on these issues and really identify I have to say anything about the needs because it's national news and you all know how how tough it is for kids today and what they're struggling with um, we uh, actually Dr. Sampson and I both worked in Alexandria and um, in Alexandria we had a school we had there, there is a school mental health program. Uh, and we would like to pilot that here in Arlington. We feel like that's a gap in our service delivery system. This would enable individuals um, who are eligible for DHS services um, to receive them at the at, at schools. And we're talking right now about basing them, you know, in the high schools, but having some flexibility to work with the middle schools um, if the need surfaces there Um, but um, uh, these individuals would um, provide the services at the schools be a part of the school mental health teams um, and work collaboratively with the APS staff on those tier three those very high need youth and the cool thing is this would eliminate a lot of barriers in terms of transportation you know time availability after school all of that so we would be really excited if we would be able to um, provide that service here in arlington in fact um, dr Sampson and i spent our time right before this meeting <laughs> pouring <laughs> over Uh, an MOU which is in development and we really need to work out roles and responsibilities uh, for this level of service Um, and how would we fill those positions we're having high-level meetings in the county to talk about a creative and aggressive recruitment you know multiple strategies because we really need bilingual staff we have significant vacancies in our child behavioral health office-based staff so we really need to focus in on how can we entice individuals to come to Arlington to work with children Um, and we would like to do this we would like to start this you know full court press again uh, in the fall if we could and if we had uh, support uh, County Board support next slide please I'm gonna turn it over to dr. Sampson
12: So as I alluded to before, uh, there are a number of investments on the school side uh, that we're looking to fund, so 10 intervention counselors. So these would be based in all of the high schools and middle schools, and their role would be to specifically provide some of those more targeted supports, sort of that tier two small group supports to students as well as potentially some tier three supports to some individual students with higher levels of need but trying to create a position that would be solely focused on this work that they don't have other responsibilities in terms of the special education IDEA process or the academic and college career planning pieces that uh, our school counselors also have uh, to work on with students we are also looking to add those three deans of students at the comprehensive high schools and they would again be focused on trying to work with students who are beginning to engage in the disciplinary system to be able to support them um, with uh, trying to replace some of those potential behaviors as well as working really through that restorative lens through restorative practices and try to repair some of that harm um, that uh, may be happening within the schools. And then uh, we are also looking, we've talked about the substance abuse counselors in the schools, the six, we're looking to add two more. So we'd have a total of eight in the schools uh, to be able to meet our current need with regards to both that preventative education as well as those interventions. Next slide.
10: Thank you, Dr. Sampson. Oh,
12: go ahead. Oh, sure. And I'm just gonna highlight back here. So then we really think about within the schools, trying to fill out with these new investments, trying to really fill out these services so that we can meet the current need of all of our students, including those that need some of these more uh, intensive and uh, targeted supports. Next slide.
10: So we don't want to be pollyanna and say this is a piece of cake. This is really very challenging work. Uh, there's a real risk of burnout on the part of our staff. Um, I know that it's really a need to focus on wellness. We've all been sort of on, you know, full cylinders for more than three years now. And um, recruitment and retention of clinicians is really a challenge, all levels, psychiatry, social workers, you name it. it Licensed professional counselors. There is a national shortage of clinicians. Um, there was a study just about um, for uh, Virginia, the Virginia Healthcare Foundation, about a year ago in January that showed that many clinical staff, a high proportion, are within uh, retirement age. So, we really need to work on pipeline issues and um, engage young people in doing this work and be creative about how to meet these needs um, and balancing, you know, hiring case managers um, and uh, 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 interns and residents who can be supervised to provide higher levels of and to develop their skills to provide the. the uh, clinical services that young people need. So um, so here we have listed some of those challenges. Um, We are really focused at a very high level, as I said, on on figuring out recruitment and retention strategies, um, working on um, how we can incentivize Uh, licensed individuals to provide the the clinical supervision required for individuals to secure a license, figuring out how we can have a career ladder for individuals who speak the languages that we need uh, to provide these kinds of services. Some of the other challenges we're dealing with are, I mentioned that we can only provide medication-assisted treatment for youth 16 and over, but we are seeing youth as young as 12 who are uh, opioid dependent and what do we do about those young people how do we safely detox them so really working with those kinds of um, real challenges Um, one of the things that we're seeing is that a young person might come to us with uh, a substance use disorder or a significant uh, emotional disorder but the entire family has needs and how do we wrap services Around that family. We've tried various strategies at DHS um, But what we need to really and that's an advantage of being an integrated department, but we need to strengthen um, the um, service integration around these families Dr. Sampson
12: sure I think what we've also all seen is a really significant increase in need and I want to I want to be clear that's not simply that there are just more numbers of individuals that have more need, it's that the level of need in an individual um, on average seems to have gone up. And that's something that I've experienced um, for a couple of years both in Alexandria and in Arlington. So um, the time, the effort, the amount of supports that may be needed for an individual um, are are far greater than perhaps they were uh, 10 years ago. Um, We, again, have families with more complex traumas. We've all added the collective trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic into our lexicons and into our own internal histories, and you add that on top of, you know, what that did for some of our families was cause major housing instability. You know, we still have families who need food access. We have families that have some pretty significant traumatic experiences in their past, Um, and you add all of that on top of now Um, a substance that is proliferating within our community. Um, And then it is a risk, we have riskier substance use. Um, And really the challenge there is it's not necessarily that somebody starts out and then keeps getting riskier and riskier substances, it's that any use of an unknown substance could potentially um, cause fatalities if for some reason it is laced with, you know, a certain level of fentanyl. Um, And that is sobering to all of us, um, because any use at this point could be um, detrimental to a student's health and or life. Yeah.
10: And I already mentioned um, in the continuum of substance use treatment um, that we have a dearth of higher levels of care. Um, We also lack. access to higher levels of care for individuals who have you know serious emotional disorders as well so um, that is something else that we are uh focused on development and um contracting with um with vendors um however um i want to turn to the next slide please i want to sort of have us end with hope. <laughs> I think there are a lot of bright spots. I think that the tragic loss of uh, the 14 year old who died from an overdose has really um, knitted APS and the county together in a way that we weren't before. Um, I think that we're seeing, you know, substantial collaboration literally on a daily basis at every level. Um, we cannot develop these services overnight it does take time it is a process it is complicated but um, but we're really seeing you know significant collaboration Uh, and I guess I for me personally I am really impressed uh, here in Arlington with the rapid response that I'm seeing, and an alignment on the urgency of the problem, as Dr. Sampson was describing. Um, We're getting and developing all kinds of innovative ideas for how to help um, children and adolescents, um, you know, to address the opioid crisis, the emotional, um, mental health crisis, um, lots of support. Um, and I think the fact that we can talk openly that we have a problem this is not good this is a serious crisis Um, and I think you know several years ago we weren't able to really be as um, overt in our conversations about mental health and substance use Uh, and I think the fact that it's a national conversation uh, and the openness here in this community to have those conversations is really significant.
12: Um, I would agree, and I think you know collaboratively between um, AARI and the schools, we've done a lot of work to educate the community on opioids and also some of the preventative measures such as naloxone and Narcan. Uh, we have, between ARI and the schools, provided um, pretty high numbers of naloxone within the community so that individuals have it. Um, we also, when we think about harm reduction tools, we have now installed those emergency boxes on all floors of our secondary schools um, and are stocking those with naloxone that's available in the case of an emergency. Um, so we really are trying to make this Um, take this and and make this a community opportunity to understand what is happening in terms of substance use, as well as to bring everybody collectively together to try to do their own part in whatever way that might be possible to prevent, you know, additional overdoses and particularly overdose deaths.
10: So that kind of concludes Ira Max. I think it's, um... There's, there's a lot of need, and there's a lot in development, and we are at the same time responding to the now. So uh, we're open to your questions.
0: I suspect there might be a few, but you certainly know that you have all of our appreciation for, um, you know, first of all, giving us a thorough overview of what has been in process, but what you've developed in, in re- reasonably short order. We very much appreciate the attention. All right, why don't we start with? um, Can I just say something first? Uh, Sorry, I was um,
1: helping myself at the self service water bar when um, folks were being seated, and I should have introduced them. So, of course, I've had the pleasure of meeting Deborah Warren before, who's your um, deputy director at um, DHS. But um, Dr. Darrell Sampson is our executive director of student services, so I neglected to introduce him. Before we started, thank you, thank you both for the presentation,
0: Ms. Cadera. I had the
11: um, I had the pleasure last week to have a briefing with um, Ms. Warren and Dr. Sampson last week, just so I could wrap my head around what was happening on the DHS side. Um, I had I felt like I had a pretty clear understanding on the school side. Um, And it's clear to me what what I'm really excited about is to see the collaboration between the two of you and your staffs. I'm really excited about the possibility that there could be a pilot for DHS um, personnel to be working in our schools, which I think, um, from my personal perspective, is a direction we need to head in. And I'm excited because you both come from Alexandria, and as I was trying to educate myself about what we could do in Arlington, I kept coming back to some of the things that I was seeing in Alexandria, like teen wellness centers in the high schools, like DHS provided services in many of the other schools. Um, And I'm, I'm a big fan of stealing ideas from other places and not feeling like we have to invent everything ourselves. So. I'm really excited about the collaboration that you two could bring and have having that shared experience. Um, um, in, the vein of, um, in the vein of stealing from other places, um, I was also really taken with what I saw happening in D.C. public schools. And they had, I brought the visual aid with me, they have this plan called Here For You, which is their mental health supports in schools document. And what I love about this is from a general public perspective, it is so easy for me to understand what help can my child get in school? What help can my family get in school? And it is super streamlined in terms of understanding how that process works. There's one referral. There's school-based professionals, and it's really clear what the people that are employed by the school system do and don't do. There are DHS people in the schools and it's really clear how their role is complementary but distinct from the school staff. There are community-based organizations because I don't think this is a problem that schools and county can even solve together. This is a community problem. So it describes the role of CBOs in schools. And my wish, if we were going to collectively and strategically figure out what are we building towards in Arlington, I think we need to think about our current budgets and investments in a strategic way, that we're not just throwing things, I don't think we're doing this, but we are building intentionally towards a structure that will make sense for the youth and the families that we're trying to serve with user-centered design. And my wish is that we capitalize on the good experience and collaboration and that all of us are talking about what is it that we want to build together and are we investing towards that in a strategic way? It's more of a comment than a mm-hmm. question. The other thing I'll just say before I stop is um, I really believe it's essential for us to involve young people in the design of services and supports that are meant to serve them and we can build things and with our best intention they will not come because we have not engaged them to make sure that they feel safe, that it appeals to or addresses the root causes of what they need. It's not accessible to them. Um, And I mean young people to include, I believe we should be talking to people who graduated from our Second Chance program. I believe we should be talking to our court-involved youth. Um, We need to, we need to be engaging the youth who will be um, hopefully, the recipients of our well-intended efforts. And so I would love to see us think about how would we recruit from different organizations around our community, the Teen Network Board, the Student Advisory Board, but also groups like Buckingham Youth Brigade and Futuro and S- Second Chance. Like, how would we pull a group of youth together to have an authentic conversation about what they would like to see um, and make sure that we're designing for success there?
0: this is obviously very important we'll take all the time that we need but just to advise everyone that we do have uh uh janetta brewer and david carlson from the partnership for children youth and families on our agenda so if that gives you cause to self-regulate no problem <laughs> <laughs> all right looks like everybody on our side so why don't we start with mr karen tonis
8: thank you mr chair it will be i will be brief i have a question so um First of all, thank you for, for the presentations. Thank you for the effort, the ongoing effort. I, I fully understand the, the challenges, and I'm trying to figure out uh, how um, some some pieces that you have mentioned will work together. So we will um, have a, 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 an intervention therapists that will be going to the schools where the, 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 the students are, where the cases are, uh, along with t- 10 FTEs, intervention counselors, et cetera. Two questions on this. First of all, how, so where, where is prevention fitting in this uh, attention model? Secondly, how does it uh, connect with parents, educators, and the other components of the school society, uh, you know, the small society. For me, this is extremely important. And the third is, we have we have seen that access to, to, you know, to, to not only to information but to access to therapy, access to th- resources in general, is really also a function of. Uh, you know, social, co- cultural issues, there are barriers, not only language. Uh, for me, for example, I, f- I find a lot of people who are afraid, I mean, parents who are afraid to, afraid. They're concerned to reach out because they don't know what the insurance requirements would be, etc. So this, I'm trying to elicit how this uh, intervention uh, layer would, would work.
12: Sure, I'm happy to, to try to give a, a start to that. So when we think about prevention efforts, um, one of our other initiatives in APS, which the board has had the pleasure to hear me speak about multiple times, um, is really this idea of universal social emotional learning. So we teach kids how to read, we teach kids how to do math, we teach kids about social studies, science, health and physical education. um, But we also have a responsibility to teach kids the skills, competencies that they need to be able to function socially, to be aware of who they are as individuals, how that awareness or who they are interacts with others, um, as well as how they can uh, persist and meet goals. Because that's really the work that all of us sitting here do every day. So we're really trying to implement this uh, universal teachers teaching this content to students Um, in the same way that they teach math, as well as integrate it throughout the school day. Um, We also do provide preventative mental health and substance use education to our students through our health curriculum. There are health standards from the Virginia Department of Education and I think of sixth grade health and one of the first ones in there is um, about teaching kids about opioids. Um, So there, there are pieces and components where kids are getting some of this information all along. We also have opportunities Um, In our middle schools and high schools, we do a program called Signs of Suicide, Acknowledge, Care, Tell. It's an evidence and research-based program. And it really teaches kids how to um, identify if a friend of theirs is in distress or if they are in distress. It gives them um, the ability to acknowledge, you know, what they're hearing, um, care, which is that they need to be able to share how much they care about this person if they want to help them. And then the next step is really telling someone to be able to get that individual the help that they need. I think, you know, in the presentation I talked about, you know, we are considering how we can expand education um, for students, but we also want to make sure that we are providing our teachers and parents um, and the community with education as well. Um, We do already do that both, uh, DHS provides youth mental health first aid trainings. We in our schools also have youth mental health first aid trainers that provide information through this curriculum about how you recognize certain signs of distress, and again, how you will get that student help. You yourself are not a practitioner if you're a teacher, but you will learn enough to be able to know the signs, have some things that you know you could walk through with the student, and then be able to get them assistance. But certainly, I think we have more um, publicity, advertisements, and things that we could do to get that information um, out to our communities and families. Uh, And lastly, in terms of thinking about sort of um, potentially overcoming some barriers that may just be, you know, some cultural communications. Um, This is why I think it's critically important to try to uh, recruit, you know, clinicians that, you know, represent the communities um, of our students and of our schools. Um, Because oftentimes it is not simply, you know, you can have a conversation with a family um, and if a clinician Um, is able to speak to some of the hesitancies from a personal lens, sometimes that can remove a barrier. What I've also seen be really helpful is if it starts at the school with somebody that's trusted at the school, you can then do a warm handoff, particularly if you have a DHS clinician in the building, you can then do a warm handoff from someone that you trust to somebody that they are vouching for that you may also be able to trust. Um, We also in APS continue to strive to ensure that we have engagement with some of our communities um, through the number of our advisory committees. So some of it is doing some strategic outreach to key community members that we know are trusted that we could share. We are doing this program. This is what it means. These are things that we want to make sure families understand. Um, And they can also make sure that some of that word gets out. Garvey.
5: Yeah, thank you. And I, I also had the privilege of um, having a briefing with Dr. Sampson and, um, and Ms. Warren. Um, it's wonderful to see the two of you working together the way you are. I mean, and, and in the briefing there was a lot of it. I mean, kind of jokes back and forth. I mean, clearly <laughs> you get along well and you're working really hard together, um, and that's wonderful to see. And, and I think um, maybe it was the pandemic. I feel we all just kind of retreated into our homes, into our offices, into what we do. And we've got to get kids out into the community. So I'd like to build a little bit on what um, Ms. Kadera said. I think, um, you know, not only we've got these extra people, so a warm handoff to DHS might be great. How about a warm handoff to like the local library? and where you go to, you know and parks and rec and if we could so if some of our staff on the APS side and on our side could have a similar relationship between somebody say in parks and rec and someone in schools I don't know who that would be um, or with our um, you know in our community centers and what goes anyway there's a whole lot of that that could happen so I'm not criticizing you, I'm not saying you have to do it right away because we want to get a good solid base. But I'm really hoping we can do that. And I know we're going to hear from the partnership soon. I do think bringing in the, the youth themselves is really, really important. Um, you know, And we've got PTAs out there wanting to, you know, reading buddies. I mean, there's so many things where we used to have people in the school. I think we could do a whole lot more for that. And then I'm just going to toss out a little concern that came to me listening to all of this, and I don't expect even an answer now, is this is sounding really good. We can get this all together, but what about summer? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but that's, you know, yeah. and obviously we can't do everything at once, but...
12: to speak just briefly to summer you know something that um you know i've been working with uh, dr mann who's the chief academic officer is we are going to have uh school counselors available in our summer programs this summer and that's going to be uh different we've had them in the middle schools and the high schools we're going to add a few um in addition to having uh counselors school counselors available in our elementary schools and then we're also looking um, to see if we have a couple of our substance abuse counselors who would also be willing to work as part of the summer's learning program this summer as well so from the school side we are trying to anticipate that we know there will still be a need for some of these staff members over the summer
5: yeah thank you and i think recent graduates too i mean young people yeah Yeah, i
10: just wanted to add to that um that um in conceptualizing the school mental health program with dhs therapists Um, we're talking about that and trying to figure out because people's emotional distress does not go into a valley over the summer so we know that those needs are ongoing and so we're we're talking about this is also part of our mou you know talking about how would those services be managed over the summer? Where would those clinicians be? Um, and also, um, how, we would, how we would have continuity of care. You know, that, I think that's the core issue. We don't have the answer for that yet, but I assure you it's top of our minds.
5: Thank you. Really appreciate it. And you've got, I think you can tell, lots of support. Um, I know we're, we're tight on time, but um, I think whatever you guys need, we would like to help
0: provide Thank you, Ms. Crystal.
4: I'm uh, going to edit myself, given the late hour Echo thanks. I, the amount of work, the volume of work is extraordinary. Um, wanted to, just the briefest of comments to um, Mr. Carrington's point about community based involvement, which I think keyed off Ms. Kaderes. Um, I, I really appreciate that sort of multi tiered system of support analogy when I think about what that looks like on the community side. And so I did just want to, perhaps by way of teeing it up for Ms. Brewer, um, spotlight that Askable Adult, which was mentioned briefly, part of the worker Project piece. That is really about creating those community wide supports, which are analogous um, to the school wide supports and you know it's not just warm fuzzy ideas right this is really evidence-backed we know that this is uh, one of the um, predictors or lack is risk factor that is most commonly occurring in our public schools and indeed across the region and um, uh, regionally at least young adults who say that they do not have an adult in their life versus the ones who do, 16 to 20 to 25 percent more likely to report you know, sy- symptoms of, of severe depression, mental health stresses, et cetera. So I think that's a, a, a great question about what are we doing community-wide, and that is just a really important body of work. So thank you to DHS and, and to the partnership which has really incubated that work. Um, uh, just, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to prioritize my questions here because there's there so much good stuff coming. But um, I was thinking about this, uh, the, the pipeline question, which I think hangs over all of us, and I think um, uh, uh, Deputy Director Warren keyed up so well. Last year, with this cl- emergency closure of the state hospitals, which was an enormous strain on our system, we talked a lot about and lobbied for pipeline investments at the state level. I wondered if there's any more we have on the status of that. Is that really going to um, clinicians in the adult space? Is it going more or less exclusively to staff and personnel uh, at the state hospitals? Are we hoping we might see some some results of that when we talk about the need to recruit, especially
10: bilingual and other special special population staff? So the money and the budget went primarily to the state hospital system. Um, and of course, the budget for this year's, this coming fiscal year is not yet resolved. Um, but it has been a top priority for the Virginia <laughs> Association of Community Services Boards to really advocate for that because it does. It, it's 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 like a cliff coming, and you know we we want to make sure we're we're developing the talent that we need now.
0: Mr. DeFranti.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chair, um, for all the work since February 2nd to now. I can feel the urgency. And so I'm kind of more on the summer and the shorter term. Um, I will say uh, just the 15 uh, FTEs that APS is in APS budget, that's significant. I think your question about the strategic standards we want to re- reach is fine. I think I'll just state outright the four FTEs on the, on the DHS, I'm for it, period. Um, uh, and it would probably wouldn't come been portrayed this much if it was likely to be there, but I'm hundred percent for it. I think slides six and 10 um, which discuss the national capital treatment and recovery and then the um, the in process with contracting, you know I've shared with you Miss Warren, that is like on my mind all the time because what we do by fiscal 25, I think um, from li- listening to Earl Warren there's some countable number of children who are in need, and um, that's what's all of the last two months seems on point, but it's a medium term, like a five months, six months. And so uh, this is just me saying again, whoever is working to knock out those contracts, that is uh, biggest on my mind. And then uh, close with, I have a couple of questions, but I'll work those offline with respect to the those 20 students and then the logistics of some of the security pieces. I think that's a just Dr. Duran type question. And I'm, if you have thoughts, great, but I want to, for brevity, I just wanted to offer those thoughts to take my question offline. Thank you, and to close out our side, before I turn it over to you for for your side,
0: just a comment uh, echoing what Ms. Kadera Kider- brought up from the very beginning about sort of involving youth and in, in, in co-creating some of the systems that we stand up and. Ms. Garvey, thinking about summer, you know, it's often overlooked, but one of the more successful things uh, that Mayor uh, Marion Barry did in the District of Columbia was marry the whole idea of recognizing that youth sometimes engage in risky behaviors and make poor choices because better options are not available to them.
6: Mm-hmm. And that is
0: particularly true if they are responsible for um, needing to earn income for their family or to provide an opportunity for a better standard of living. So let's not lose sight of. Um, direct incentives through either connecting people with gainful employment or paying them to participate. You know, as much as we uh, perseverate about, oh, we've built it, why won't they come? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe give them a reason to. And so anyway, I'll leave it at that. And why don't you take it it from there? Thank you. Uh,
1: Let's start with my colleague, the uh, vice chair.
9: Yeah. Um, I completely just want to echo before I go into my own comments, totally want to echo that. Um, Incentivizing teenagers to do just about anything is yeoman's work. um, And ensuring that they are coming to engage in a process that is going to be um, emotionally painful and draining and force them to confront uh, potential internal demons and their own realities is is a lot of work. Um, And so figuring out what are those incentives, bringing in those youth voices is going to be really critical. I do, and so just wanted to like double down on that before I jumped into my own question. Um, to Miss or Mr. Carantona's question, he had talked about the, the what was happening on the prevention side. Um, I wanted to flag the thing that I have flagged in many years previous that part of our tier two intervention are our psychologists and social workers that are in school who can do that tier two work with the smaller groups. Um, and I've, we've talked about it in the past, but we are far, far, far off the recommended ratios of where we need to be with our psychs and social workers. And Dr. Sampson, can you remind us how far off we are from those ratios? This is not a problem that we'll be able to solve today, but I just wanted to name that this is still a problem that persists in our system.
12: Sure, well, the current APS planning factors are at about 1 to 750, um, and the recommendations are 1 to 500.
1: Let me... um... I'll make some very brief remarks. Um, thank you for the excellent presentation. Uh, very, very meaty and I'll be referring to it as I you know, bring myself up to speed on all of the great things that we're doing. Um, I- I'm delighted, of course, that uh, on this proposal for the therapists in our schools, um, and my question there is, uh, as additional positions are staffed or identified would they also be placed in the schools
10: I don't know the answer to that I think we're gonna have to you know work very closely together and um, assess what the needs and the demands are
1: okay thank you um, I, I'm, I'm happy that we all I think all have a recognition that addressing mental health is a community-wide issue uh, because um, mental health spans all ages. Obviously, um, the school system has a role. uh, Beyond the ages of the school system, county has a role. Um, Greater collaboration with both of us to address that multi-age need, I think, is clearly a... Um, an area where we have to say this is our community, this is our community issue, our community problem, and we have to bring to it a community response. So um, thank you again, thank you all uh, again for that recognition, that collaboration about the recognition that this is something I agree with what you said that um, maybe the, the outflow, the aftermath of the the pandemic has kind of crystallized it's kind of put a point on you know this issue for all of us um, seeing no more red lights i think we'll probably want to go to
0: yeah the next why don't we portion. do a little set change thank you so much appreciate it and we'll invite Janetta Brewer and David Carlson up to occupy those seats and update us on the perspectives of the partnership
13: Jeanetta might be
0: Oh, okay great our clerk is coming so we can see if she's joining us online we'll connect her momentarily
13: hello my name is David Carlson and I am a co-chair of the Arlington partnership for children youth and families Uh, the partnership consists of 16 appointed members by by the county board uh, and eight designated Arlington County government and public school staff The partnership's mission is to improve the health well-being and safety of children youth and families in Arlington through researching young people's needs advocating for improved policies and programs to meet those needs and engaging members of the community as part of the solution the partnership is committed to equity ensuring that all county residents regardless of race ethnicity sex gender identity sexual orientation ability socioeconomic status or other characteristics have access to the academic social safety behavioral and mental health resources they need to live healthy successful lives thank you very much for asking us to come today our first ask is you won't believe this we're hoping to get the Increasing number of mental health staff in schools. Um, I thought the presentation we just saw was wonderful. Um, All sources of youth data indicate that our students are dealing with a high level of social anxiety, depression, and trauma. According to findings from the 2019 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, survey, nearly 30 percent of high school students self-report that they have experienced uh, feelings of sadness or hopelessness for two weeks or more in a row of those students only 30% reported that they received the help that they needed additionally disparities were seen in uh, the students who report depressive systems with Hispanic and LGBTQ plus. Mm-hmm. youth reporting that high, they had higher incidence of depression and attempted suicide. I wanted to go back to this 30% said they, um, that they received the help they need. That means 70% did not. And 30% of the students um, said they had a problem. So that means 20% of all of our students have a problem and we're not getting help. Um, um, according to a coma, 45 to 59 percent of youth of color report experiencing mild to severe levels of anxiety and 75 to 88 percent of youth of color report experiencing moderate to severe depression these numbers are very alarming and indicate that students don't have the coping skills to deal with the stress and trauma that they are facing many of those students appear to be turning to harmful practices such as drugs uh, e-vaping, and alcohol use. Increasing psychologists, social workers, and counselors will provide the support that students need to thrive within the classrooms and in the broader community. And it will also support the achievement of Arlington County's equity goals. The partnership also believes that providing students with productive out-of-school activities will positively impact their mental health and wellness, the partnership encourages increased collaboration between APS, the county board, and the community business uh, community businesses to provide opportunities for youth, such as internships, after-school programs. As these opportunities are evaluated, it is important to ensure access for all students. The partnership also supports the expansion of the ASKable Adult. Program, which we've heard a little about today, too. This training curriculum should be shared with teachers, in our opinion, at school programs, park staff, they're already leading the way here, library staff, youth sport leagues, uh, the coaches, scout leaders, and others working with outside youth outside uh, of school time. I know for certain there are thousands of adults in Arlington that work with scouts and coaching things and and uh, they could definitely benefit with this in the last 10 years our data has shown that one action has marginally moved the needle in the right direction for our youth mental health data that action was getting all teachers and staff that interact with young people in our schools trained in mental health first aid it's not an enormous spend and it had a it had actually moved the needle something that uh, Co-Chair Janetta and I are definitely interested in. Uh, Our next area is uh, promoting youth safety and security. The partnership recommends hiring an external consultant to assess and provide recommendations for creating a physically and psychologically safe environment for our students. According to the findings from the 2019 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, almost 40% of students reported experiencing in-person bullying, bullying. Almost half the female students in grades eight, 10 and 12 experienced sexual harassment at school. More than 10% reported unwanted sexual contact of those same eight, 10 and 12th grade and 8% of high school seniors reported having been forced or coer- coerced to have sex. Additionally, the CDC reports an increase in the pervasive sadness, suicidal thoughts, and sexual violence endured endured by teen girls. The partnership recommends providing bullying and sexual abuse awareness and education for teachers and administrators, students and parents of all schools. This should include how to identify and report suspected incidents of bullying and sexual abuse. The partnership also recommends adopting an instructional lesson within the schools that cover topics related to the prevention of bullying and sexual abuse and includes recommendations for creating effective boundaries for students who have suffered from abuse and the rehabilitation of offenders. A bit about broadening our uh, engagement in the community. The partnership believes that Only by involving all members of the community do we ensure that our most vulnerable populations thrive. Therefore, the partnership recommends hiring a consultant to conduct the evaluation of the most effective methods to reach members of the community that are historically less engaged, yet most at risk for adverse experiences and whose students are disproportionately suffering. The partnership anticipates reigniting and expanding community conversations within the next year. This is uh, something that we haven't been able to do so much in the COVID era. We were recently introduced by Mary Kadera, thank you Mary, for, uh, to Alexandria count, uh, Alexandria's Children and Youth Master Plan, which provides strategic goals and report card around areas such as early childhood education health and wellness, safety, trauma, racism, equity, and increased transparency. Focused uh, strategic plan on our county's youth. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I missed a line. The partnership thinks that Arlington County could benefit from such a focused strategic plan for our county's youth. Therefore, the partnership recommends the development of a task force to build a strategic plan inclusive of goals, metrics, and regular reporting for our county youth. Because it's imperative that the interests of all members of the community are represented on the task force, we recommend representatives from the county board, Arlington School System, uh, appropriate county agencies such as DHS, Parks and Recs, um, APS students, community organizations such as parent-teacher organizations, associations, Hispanic Student Association, NAACP juntos and justicia and others lastly we'd like to echo many of their requ- requests raised by the Teen Network board are you going to hear from them next not today no well I, I can tell you this and this is the last half page here um, they're, they're asking for the addition of a sufficient number of this is what the teens are asking for sufficient number of mental health and substance uh, use counselors in schools. More robust mental health, substance use, suicide prevention and anti-bullying education in the schools to equip school staff and students. They'd like to continue the uh, training about Narcan, about the uh, availability of Narcan in schools and uh, hoping that uh, we can get help with legislative Advocacy that would allow Narcan to be carried and administered uh, by the students. Expansion of the Teen Network Board Commission. This is what the teens are asking. Expanding their commission to include middle school youth. And I see, I don't see why not, but that's up to you. Uh, more focused equity and exclusion r- uh, work. All of this comes from our teens. Uh, in summary, we hope that the county and schools will invest in areas that will direct impact, uh, directly impact student well-being, particularly their mental, emotional, psychological, and sexual well-being. I read that as fast as I could. So. Oh, <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I hope you didn't feel under any undue pressure to- No, no, uh,
13: not at all. But
0: quickly. We thank you for that. It was a that. pleasure to see you all. And we do appreciate everything. And it it should be noted that we've typically uh, had um, representatives from the Teen network board be able to attend this. I somehow suspect that with this now encroaching onto spring break, that's made it very, very difficult to make that happen, so.
6: right, they've been
0: on spring break for about two hours. Yes, 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 yes,
13: indeed. They met with us uh, uh, 10 days ago or so. And uh, they're really a spunky group, and as you would expect teenagers to be. So any questions or comments
0: beyond our deep appreciation for all the work and good advice and, and clearly you see I, I hope you see from the previous couple of hours of conversation that we yeah, are like minded in so many regards. Yeah. Ms.
9: Um I just just a quick comment. I I will say I, I I think I speak on behalf of our board that having the middle schoolers in our student advisory board is fantastic because they bring a very different perspective than the teenagers and so um, we always find it super useful to hear from them, Um, or at least I do. I think I'm seeing some nods over here, so yeah.
4: We don't usually take action from the joint work session table, but I think we could probably commit to taking a look at that charge and figuring out what we need to do to be able to include those middle school voices.
11: Ms. Kadera. One really quick comment because I know it's late. Um, I just, I want us all to be um, mindful of the way we talk about youth mental health. Um, I have a concern when we talk, when we use terms like mental health crisis for our youth, when we use terms like learning loss, um, I want us to be very careful that we're not reducing our young people to um, deficits. because I want us to be able to convey to them, I'm sure none of them are watching at the beginning of spring break, but if you are, I want you to know that we believe that you're resourceful and talented and capable people and that we are um, attuned to some really specific needs that some of you are facing. Um, but but I, I want us to frame it in that way um, and, and just be, be mindful about that.
5: And I'll just, I, that's great, that's part of the, uh, the, the assets model, which I'm sure you're aware of, kind of
0: helps do that. Good point. All right. Any other comments before we close? Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you you for coming to our house. We are delighted to have received you and hope you all enjoy the system-wide break over the course of the next week. We, though, will be back at it on April 11th with our final budget work session. Till then, we are adjourned. Uh,
1: Thank you you for the invitation. Thank you for a great work session, as always. Joy being here. Yeah,
5: have a good weekend. <laughs>